Chapter 3. Waking Up Evil. What fresh hell can this be? Dorothy Parker, whenever she answered the doorbell. September 27th, 2008, Saturday. A friend whose husband died in a freak traffic accident once told me that when something shocking happens to you, your life is automatically divided into two parts. There's one life before the shock and another life after it. My second life has begun. By late Friday night, I have been personally and politically savaged every hour on the hour in every time zone in the country. It would be devastating for anyone, but for a journalist whose work depends on trust and credibility, it's a nightmare. We, my friends and family, don't know exactly what to call what happened to me on September 26th. A national flogging? No description feels accurate, but we have to call it something. We finally settle on Red Friday. Red for liberals, red for blood. A few scant hours of sleep bring me back to earth on Saturday morning. The weekend is surreal. Two close friends, both journalists, Donald Benham and Don Marks, bring over the local and national weekend editions with another close friend, coffee. The coffee is comforting, and the papers are brutal. I can see I'm no longer myself. The Winnipeg Free Press and the Winnipeg Sun which have published my columns and reviews and op-ed pieces for a couple of decades, riff painfully on the charges against me. The Sun has no doubt what the story is. They punch it out in old-fashioned tabloid headlines. Dion drops 9-11 nut. The Sun will later list me among Manitoba's top ten morons. That's in its New Year's edition, right after Manitoba's then-premier Gary Dewar. The National Post, and then Aspartame, shaped me into an extremist conspiracy monger, and the Globe and Mail's Christy Blatchford plays with my life like a smug cat with a bedraggled mouth. McLean's magazine, at first, lets me off easy. I am a mere dimwit. I am, according to my colleagues in national media, someone who has been caught harboring hateful fantasies. An odious bigot peddling preposterous views. I'm guilty of the most repellent and marginalized ideas imaginable. I make a list. I am poisonous, batty, loopy, and not only that, but also smarmy, stubborn, and unrepentant. I'm surrounded by funhouse mirrors, contempt coming from all directions. Judgment rains down like hellfire on the internet, where I discover myself to be a liar, a kook, a racist, and a common moon bat. One insult actually makes me laugh. Batshit crazy. Is batshit crazy? Who would know a thing like that? And how did they find out? At least my parents are not here to share my humiliation. Checking out various media platforms, I am so vile that it's no wonder Stefan Dion expelled me from his list of candidates. 
Even I want to be rid of me. By Saturday afternoon, people are dropping by, treating me gently, like someone who's been hospitalized. One chum assumes command of the kitchen, and there's a funereal gravity in the air. Friends are calling from across Canada, emailing, dropping off cards, flowers, and food. I can still see a beautiful plant from someone who had forgotten my black thumb and a pail of honey left at the door. Another friend has left a fat manila file in the mailbox. It's full of my columns published in the sun back into the 80s. There's a yellow sticky on the front which reads, Don't worry, we know what they're saying isn't true. Well, you know that, I think. But what about the rest of the country? I'm not yet aware that, thanks to the global reach of the Internet, I've already been disgraced in at least five other countries, just hours after my spontaneous scrum. I see the tender activity around me. I hear the comfort my friends and family are offering, but I can't feel it. I want to show my gratitude, but... Everything is just hopelessly flat. I've somehow sedated myself without medication. I am here in my life, but I am not here. I'm somewhere safe, beyond reach, and I want to stay there as long as I can. I understand what Stephen Harper's people gained from making and amplifying shameful claims about an opposing liberal candidate. Votes. But the shaming is also coming from two powerful communities with whom I had long and mutually respectful relationships, my colleagues in media and the Jewish community. While the capture of a demented liberal candidate is a feast for some papers, that isn't the big story for most of Canada's media. The crime emerging in the spotlight is an alleged hatred of Israel and Canada's Jewish population. Soon the unwritten but powerful five times rule applies. The five times rule suggests that people can be given misinformation three or four times without swallowing it, but it's the fifth time that pushes them over the edge into believing unsupported stories. A story appears in a newspaper, reappears in a radio station, then on TV news, pops up on a website, possibly all the property of one owner. And voila, it arrives at the water cooler. Five times. At this point, all but the savviest media consumer surrenders. The story is everywhere. It must be true. <laughs> 